Welcome to an encore presentation of Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Monday morning. Time for Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Sandy's with me at the mic, of course. Welcome back. I'm always glad to be back in front of the mic with you. This series, of course, is about getting into the Word together, and we haven't said it in the past few weeks, but we intend for our Compassion Radio listeners to join us on their own with someone they love. Maybe there's a friend of yours you would love to spend some time over coffee and just talk the Word together. If you need a good excuse... We'd love to be that excuse for you. We provide a Bible study guide along with the interesting translation that we've been working on for the past few years called the Dynamic Gospel, and that's available to you on our website any given week. Just check the podcast page for this program, and you'll find a downloadable PDF that includes interesting and sometimes provocative questions about the Scriptures, but it's meant to kind of inspire some dialogue, so at least with one other person, if you want to sit down and actually explore the Word together, that's what this series is about. We will go through the books that we do exegetically, which means a verse at a time, and working through the meanings of all those verses in their context. But this is not pulpit preaching. This is the body coming together to study the Word. So if you like that idea, you could even pull up the guide right now while we're talking, and think of the questions that are on that study guide while we're talking through this chapter. What I love about the way we've done Chasing the Word is that it challenges me to read the Scripture differently. Mm-hmm challenges me to look with new eyes. I love our back and forth dialogue and the things we talk about, the different perspectives that we have. I like too that we don't always agree about things. It challenges me to think in a new way. And I think that's the point of Bible study with other people and having friends around you to study the scripture with. It opens your eyes to a new perspective. The Word of God is alive and living, and and we've talked about this before, and you've said it recently that it's something that is so with us and affects every part of our lives, right here where we sit. And right where we sit is the best place for Him to be asking those questions of us, too. When we start approaching the Word of God with, what do you want for me to learn from this? Mm -hmm. Where are you in this that changes us? The event that anchors all of this, this is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first half of this chapter we're going to focus on today has to do with very personal experiences. God is obviously present. Now, we have the option of looking at it from a very far distance called time. And after 2,000 years, it seems like it's uh, something that we can just kind of put a pin in and say that happened then. It means this now, therefore this. But not for them. They had to deal with what was going on. Now, of course, I think the Scripture wants us to deal with what's really going on right now, too, not just think about it as a historical event that somehow advises us. It is meant to be an event that inhabits us, which means we need to be, in some way, experiencing the resurrection for ourselves to really get it. Well, it's why we challenge people in the Bible study notes to read the passage that we're studying fresh and with new eyes. Read it again for the first time. Well, the Word says it's alive, speaking of itself there, and it also says in John 1 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's a living person expressed through all these words, but somehow the magic of it is just reading the Word of God, letting it come to life in us, means that we're actually admitting that there's something bigger than just the printed Word on the page at work here. But it's using those printed words to stir ideas and experiences and memories and imagination for what could be, and therefore who God is. He's revealing himself through all this. So let's get on with it now. This is a day of revelation for all the believers in Jerusalem. And we'll jump right in on chapter 20, verse 1. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. 
she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter came also. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then entered the tomb, saw and believed, for they still did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went home again. But Mary stood outside, facing the tomb, crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet, where Jesus' body had been lying. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, though she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you've removed him, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord! And she told them what he said to her. This is one of those stories that is so fundamental to a whole bunch of key values that God wants to express and have us take to heart. But we gloss over it so fast because we're trying to get to the solution for everybody else. It is no small thing that the Bible camps out on Mary's story. The second half of this narrative did not happen while John was standing there in the garden. Everything else about the book of John, we've talked a number of times about how he restrains from speaking things unless he personally saw them. Throughout this story of him with Peter and the tug and pull in the tomb and the revelation in their hearts, they completely miss the persons of the angels. We'll talk about that in a minute. He speaks specifically and no more than what he knew. And yet, in the second half of what you just read, honey, we hear Mary speaking in the first person. She had to be the one telling the story to the disciples. Mary is the one who brought the good news of the gospel to the disciples. She was the first person to see Jesus alive and is the first person to tell of his resurrection. Other gospels say that there was other women there at some point and this point back and forth. We don't really know exactly what the timeline was, but this story right here, this little small few verses is the beginning of the gospel. It is the beginning of when the gospel message went out. And Mary Magdalene is the one whom Jesus chose to share that gospel, to share the message. You know, John and Peter are in the tomb and it says that John believed. It doesn't say what he believed in mm -hmm. or what specifically he believed. Right. But it does seem to have a sense of 
the wonder entered into him that something glorious has happened here. He doesn't have any particulars yet. Mm-hmm. He just knows that something is different than we expect. Something's bubbling in his mind. What did Jesus say yeah, about he this? He is not suspecting that his body has been stolen, although Mary has. Mm-hmm. He's suspecting that God has done something mm-hmm. here and that his heart is resonating with that. I think it's because of the angel music in his heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's in the presence of angels, whether he knows it or not. Mm-hmm. And in that place... Truth is beginning to open his heart up to what's possible. Mm-hmm. For me, that's what believe at that point means. He's open mm-hmm. to what God is doing. Now, Mary is doing all the normal things. She's weeping. She's devastated. And then she sees the tomb ripped open. It's a desecration. And it really is truly a desecration. Something has ripped that tomb apart. Mm-hmm. And that has got to be completely unnerving. All she wants at this point is to mourn correctly, mm-hmm. to honor her God by the way she handles the situation. And she thinks that situation is permanent. Mm-hmm. And yet she encounters something that even the men did not. The angels themselves address her. She knows they're angels. Mm-hmm. She's talking to them. And yet she suspects that the body has still been removed. She doesn't get it yet that Jesus himself can do whatever he intends to do. She's just devastated by the loss. Well, I think that she is so completely traumatized here and so spent. Mm. Her mind is free to go wherever it needs to go. She is open to all of her surroundings. She's trying to take them in to figure out where the body of Jesus is. She feels a responsibility continuing. Yeah, she's just wanting to do the right thing. She's just wanting to honor her teacher. When we are open to our grief, when we allow our grief to process through us, it is the process. Yeah, is it not? we then can maybe look outside ourselves a little bit more and see the spiritual a little easier or better. I, I think that's what's happening. Yeah, here. I think so too. She's doing something that normal people do in a normal way. She's expressing her grief, but she's also letting her grief speak truth. She's not being hyper-spiritual. She's not trying to play the role. She's also not throwing out false grief where she's trying to look like she's mourning. Mm-hmm. She's just devastated. That's really clear in the text. And it takes God himself shaking her awake again Mm -hmm. in order for her to see it. And because she's genuinely grieving and not lying to herself or to anybody else, when she's not even hopeful, she's not even trying to say she's hopeful, she's just saying where she is. Then Jesus shows up. Not that he wasn't there. He crosses over her perception where he's finally and truly being perceived as being right there. Mm -hmm. And because of that, she is the very first witness to the first thing, the first fruits of God. She is the one human being in all of history that saw Jesus first. Mm -hmm. And that is spectacular. I've spoken before about the importance to me of understanding that God knows me, that Jesus knows my name And the place that Jesus says, Mary, Mm -hmm. when he speaks her name, that is to me in my life, the pinnacle of the good news, that Jesus speaks my name, Sandy, that he calls me Sandy, is deeply meaningful. I can't even express in words what it means to me. And so when I read the scripture where Jesus says Mary's name, where he says Mary, it is with such knowing that he says it. And she recognizes that voice. Immediately, she's like, teacher, it, it, it's, it's him. She knows. 
you know when someone who loves you speaks your name. Yeah. It sounds different to your heart, yeah. not just to your ears. And Jesus knows this name. It's a name, Miriam, that goes across a lot of history, mm-hmm. all the way back into Moses' days. I mean, the Miriams that we hear about across history are greatly honored because they served God. Mm-hmm. The spirit of living God is flowing through Jesus. So that spirit already knows the name Miriam, has spoken it in love to many Miriams Mm -hmm. over history. And each of them seem to be a kind of spiritual descendant of the Miriams before them. They're an interesting and very exclusive club. (laughs) But for this moment, when he says, Mary, Miriam, he's speaking to a dear friend as a human, but as a dear friend of God's. And she's not pretentious. She's, not again, not imagining what can't be. She's trying to be focused and literal and not imagine things that are not there. She seems to be quite a very fundamentally clear-headed and straightforward woman. Mm-hmm. She's not prone to flights of fancy. Jesus is obedient and wants to know God. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus says that to her, Mary, and he says, don't cling to me, don't hang on me, he's not saying... Don't get anywhere near me. Don't touch me. My guess is she fell into him. Mm-hmm. It would be hard not to yeah. after thinking all was lost. I know we go back to this often in the broadcast when we're talking about things that are deeply meaningful to us, but I just remember so vividly when you were in a coma hmm. and that feeling of all was lost that we had built, that we had here on earth. And then when you woke up and you spoke my name, it was as if I was restored as well. The hope that was barely brewing inside of me came alive again. And I knew that God was doing a big thing, bigger than I could have even began to hope for. And so I see that in this story here. I see that Mary is maybe clinging to this tiny bit of hope that I think Jesus said something about rising from the dead or he's coming back. I don't understand. Or But that moment that hope explodes inside of you. Mm-hmm. Because you are known, and because the one that you love so deeply says your name, out of despair comes hope and life again. And I see that in this story. Jesus is still speaking our names. Absolutely. So all of us have the opportunity, I think, I know, to have this moment that Mary had become the first thing we've ever really seen of really God's presence when he speaks our name, and we know he did. Mm. But we have to let him say it. It's it's kind of like if we tell God, no, you can't speak to me personally, and he's speaking our name softly, and we keep yelling over him, you can't talk to me personally, you can't talk to me personally, I'm not worthy of your personal presence, Mm -hmm. and we keep shouting at God or shouting him down, how in the world could he possibly speak our name to us in a way that we're going to hear? We have to allow God to be Mm -hmm. in order for that experience to begin. Obviously, Mary, Miriam, really, really wanted that experience of being with Jesus again, Maybe she had hopes of being with him after the grave. At this moment, though, life came to her before she could have expected it. For 78 years now, we've depended on the faithful encouragement of friends just like you to bring this unique radio and media ministry to the air each day. Friends, we're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. I personally met with dozens of refugees and kingdom workers who ran to the front lines of need and have selflessly given of themselves completely, thoroughly, and as I saw to the point of indescribable exhaustion. I saw refugee and servant alike shiver in a vicious blizzard that struck the first week of March. 
they were very much alike in one important way. They were absolutely determined to survive this ordeal and to redeem what their lives have become. We need to follow their example. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy, tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. This need is not going away anytime soon, even as this rescue operation rapidly sweeps the refugees farther west, away from the fighting. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please, give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. Bless you, friends, for your brave and activist faith. I hope we can be a real encouragement and challenge to you for many, many years to come. And make sure to ask for your own copy of The Dynamic Gospel when you contact us today. Well, I know we need to go on to the Dynamic Gospel reading of this same scripture, but I want to just make one more point about this that Mary was in a place of deep despair, and she did not have a huge bag of expectations at this point. And she had released her preconceived notions of what was supposed to happen, what she wanted to happen. And so I think that when she sees Jesus and believes that he's the gardener, Presumes he is. Presumes that he's a gardener. She's completely blinded by grief, for one thing, but she has no expectation of Jesus being there. Not in the way she's familiar with. Yeah. And so we have to be open to seeing Jesus in places that we don't really expect him to be. Mm -hmm. To be alive in places where we see nothing but death. And things that we're not familiar with. Yes. Okay. Chapter 20, verse 1 from the Dynamic Gospel. The day after the Passover Sabbath, Mary Magdalene made her way to the tomb very early, while it was still dark. She was stunned to find it wide open. The huge ceiling stone was missing. In shock, she ran as fast as she could to Simon Peter and the other disciple known as Best Friend. She wailed, They've taken him! He's gone from the tomb! I have no idea where they've moved him! Mary dropped in a heap. Jolted out of their own grief, Peter and the other disciple ran as fast as their feet would carry them to the burial cave. They raced together until the other one pulled ahead, leaving Peter behind. He threw himself at the short entrance, gasping for breath. Peering inside, he could see all of the burial wrappings lying in a heap on the stone shelf. He couldn't bring himself to step inside the place of death. Peter had no such quibbles and marched right in, pushing the other one aside. He saw the same thing. Peter noticed the head shroud lying folded and off to the side, separate from the rest of the wrappings. Finally, the other disciple got up the courage to follow Peter inside and agreed that the body of Jesus was nowhere to be found. Neither of them realized yet that another prophecy had come true that says, even death will not hold him down, he'll stand up again. They had no words for each other. In deep sorrow, they retreated to their lodgings. All the while, Mary Magdalene has stood outside the tomb, wailing a great lament. Overcome with emotion, she eventually pressed into the vault to see for herself. She was met with the glorious presence of two angels, brilliant and blazing white. One was seated at the foot of the shelf that had held the body of Jesus, the other at the head. They greeted her with this message, "'Woman, why are you wailing in grief?' Through her blinding tears, she answered, They've stolen my master, and I don't know where they've hidden him. 
She turned around to leave and almost ran into Jesus standing in her way, not realizing who it was. He asked her the same thing. Woman, why are you consumed with sorrow? Are you looking for someone? Mary, supposing him to be the groundskeeper, pled with him, Sir, if you've moved him, please, please tell me where, and I'll take him myself. Jesus looked at her softly, and in a warm, familiar voice said, Mary. She turned to him, looking up to his face. Teacher? she exclaimed, falling to her knees. Jesus said, Don't touch me, not yet, for I haven't finished my journey home. I am returning to my Father above, but quickly, go tell my brothers that I am on the move. I am headed home to my Father and yours, my God and your God. I am on my way up. Now Mary was running, but not from desperation. She wasted no time sharing the good news. She had seen Him, standing right in front of her, and everything He told her, she told to them. We don't have much time left in this broadcast, but closing thoughts from you, honey. Every time I read this story in particular, I am again overwhelmed by the personal touch of Jesus. There's no theology in this part of the chapter. No. There's just experience. Yeah. And I've heard so many sermons on this particular passage. They talk about, well, why was this face cloth folded? Why was this like this? Why did the disciples not see the angels? Why, 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 why? I guess those things in a deeper theological sense may be important, but to me, the importance of this particular passage is how personal it is and how Jesus, he could have come forward when Peter and John were there. He could have easily stepped out, but he didn't. He waited. He intentionally waited for Mary to be alone and reached out to her on a personal level. Yeah. And charged her with sharing the gospel the first time. The first time. I also wonder if it's because he's so tender towards her as a friend that he knew her grief was unbearable. Right. He was going to meet the other disciples, and they were going to catch up with him probably in Galilee to have a meeting, or he's going to show up in their midst. Who knows what his original itinerary was after the grave? But he chose at that moment to relieve her of the burden of her grief. I think she was on the original itinerary. I think he fully intended to meet with Mary first. He Mm -hmm. honored women at every point in Scripture. Yeah, I'm not not talking about perspective of saying he made a decision that he changed his mind. I'm simply saying that from our perspective, we can see him making plans to go places and that he preferred her because he knew her and knew her needs and he knew his tenderness for his friendship. I think that's a very man thing to say. I'm not not going to leave it. (laughs) Fair enough. I'm just saying. He honored women at every turn. Honey, I absolutely agree with this. I'm not disagreeing with you at all on that point. (laughs) Okay. And I do think she holds a place of honor because honor is due her, period. Jesus gave it to her, and that establishes the fact. It's not a qualification of a patriarchal view of Scripture. She is the center of it. And so men and women are his people. They're his family. It's not that Jesus acted manly and put up with his mother. He was taught by his father and his mother and his heavenly father. All of them have standing in his heart because he loves them. They're his family. And the women around him are just as important and just as called to the ministry that he's given them as any of the men are. And I absolutely fundamentally believe that because the scripture makes it clear. And that may go against some of our cultural understandings or expectations. But we just talked about unraveling expectations here. Mm -hmm. Whatever Peter and John expected getting to the grave, they only got as far as their imagination would allow them to perceive during that moment. Mary was just spent. 
There was nothing left for her to try to process. She was just herself. And in that reality, in that absolute simple experience, Jesus showed up and she has no resistance to it. She got to see him because her heart was ready mm-hmm. to be able to see the truth that was unfolding right there. Mm-hmm. And on that, we'll leave it for this week. There's some obviously more exciting things about the next reactions and how the body starts to process the reality that Jesus is back and that he's on his way home to heaven on next week's Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word. Thanks so much for joining us today. Who am I that you are mindful of me? Thanks for joining us today. Send your special gift for the church in Ukraine today. Call 1-800-868-2478. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.